Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Employees are the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers group dental, vision, life, and disability plans designed to protect them. Exceptional service, broad networks, and modern benefits. That's the power of human care. I recently did a little weekend getaway with my five closest friends. It's just a time to enjoy each other's company with a lot of good food and even more laughter. Over the course of that weekend, it suddenly hit me that of these six black women, four have autoimmune diseases, in some cases more than one. MS, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, psoriatic arthritis, and one that doctors aren't yet able to definitively diagnose. And that realization got me digging. Autoimmune diseases affect more than 24 million people in the U.S., and more often they affect women and women of color at higher rates. Women have autoimmune disease twice as much as men. That's according to the National Institutes of Health. Getting diagnosed isn't easy. It took one of my friends 20 years from the onset of symptoms to get her MS diagnosis. And treatment? That can be tough, too. It's a hard and lengthy journey. Here's what some of you shared with us about your experiences with autoimmune disease. Hi, my name is Jennifer from New Jersey. I have multiple sclerosis, better known as MS. I was diagnosed when I was 28, and I am now 44. Um, My diagnostic process was a little lengthy. I had numerous MRIs, I think three different MRIs, and a spinal tap. Um, MS mirrors a lot of different autoimmune diseases, so they wanted to be sure, and I've been living with it uh, pretty well on a disease-modifying medication, and I feel very lucky. Hi. It took me 30 years to be diagnosed with Sjogren's Syndrome. I almost went blind because of it, and it took a trip to the Massachusetts Eye and Ear Institute for me to get diagnosed and to have special treatment that wasn't covered by insurance. I wish somebody would do something about educating physicians on autoimmune problems. Thanks for those messages. Well, today we're returning to our In Good Health series. That's when we explore the health issues that affect us most. Today, we talk about the complexities of autoimmune disease. Why is the diagnostic process for these diseases so complicated? Why are the rates of disease higher for women and women of color? We get into those questions and a lot more after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back in just a moment. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org elections. Let's get into the conversation and welcome our guests. Joining us now is Dr. Marette Beru-Talabi. She's an assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Rheumatology and Clinical Immunology at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. Dr. Beru-Talabi, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Also with us is Joy Bowie. She's the director of research at the Lupus Foundation of America. Joy, it's great to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. 
and Dr. Liliana Amesqua. She's an associate professor of neurology at the University of Southern California. She's also the interim chief of the Multiple Sclerosis Comprehensive Care and Research Group. Dr. Amesqua, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Dr. Baru Talabi, in its most basic definition, what is an autoimmune disease? So the way that I would try to describe this in a simplified way is an autoimmune disease is where the body's immune system attacks the self. And the way that I like to explain it to people is that one of the major functions of the immune system is to fight off foreign invaders like viruses and bacteria and fungi that come into contact with the body and really could could kill us. Uh, And the way that our immune system will fight off those foreign invaders is in part through inflammation. And that's normal. That's a normal and healthy response. What's abnormal is that the immune system can sometimes get confused by its own cells and proteins in the body. And it uses the same attack mechanisms, including inflammation, against itself. And that inflammation can cause organ damage. And that's the the basic concept around autoimmunity. What do we know about the factors that contribute to the development of an autoimmune disease? Such an important question, and I think one that really uh, so many researchers worldwide are trying to understand. It's probably some combination of genes, environment, and hormones. So people are predisposed familially for autoimmune disease, which is why really we as rheumatologists um, will often inquire at some level of depth about people's family history when we're trying to make the diagnosis. Uh, We know that environment makes a difference. For example, cigarette smoking is a risk factor for the development of rheumatoid arthritis. We know that um, uh, uh, environmental toxins may have a role. It's being studied as a risk factor for scleroderma at my institution, for example. Um, Scleroderma is, is an autoimmune disease. It affects the skin, sometimes the lungs, the gut, the kidneys. And it's another, it's an interesting disease with respect to hormones as well. Um, When we think about hormones and autoimmune disease, we know that women and people born female are predisposed to the development of autoimmune diseases. In scleroderma, it's a nine to one female to male ratio. Um, Males can develop it, but especially if they have low testosterone levels. So that seems to be a risk factor. So there's some interplay between genes environment and hormones, I think, across the autoimmune diseases. According to the National Institutes of Health, lupus is one of the most common autoimmune diseases. Joy, the Lupus Foundation of America says it affects about 1.5 million Americans. How does this illness affect the body? So lupus, like many other diseases, is an autoimmune disease. And unlike um, more commonly known autoimmune diseases such as type 1 diabetes or um, something like MS, lupus impacts the entire body. So it can affect the heart, it can affect the brain, the lungs, um, all major organs as well as the skin. And, and how do the symptoms show up? Does it vary from patient to patient? Absolutely. So lupus has heterogeneous presentation, meaning that it can show up uh, very differently depending on the patient, depending on uh, the genetic predisposition uh, for the disease, depending on the sex, the race, ethnicity, uh, age at which the disease is diagnosed. There are so many different factors that impact how lupus uh, manifests itself in the body. The environment also has a huge role in, in how lupus uh, presents clinically, 
Um, but in addition to that, once a person is diagnosed, they have to work with their physician to get on proper treatment and proper medication. However, if the disease goes uncontrolled, it's allowed to continue to fester and cause uh, damage that's oftentimes irreversible. Dr. Baru Talabi, there are a wide spectrum of autoimmune diseases, and as as we've heard, they show up differently in different people. How does that affect doctors' ability to properly form a diagnosis for an autoimmune disease? Well, that's another great question, and I'll I'll give the example of psoriasis. Um, psoriasis is an autoimmune skin condition, and psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis have traditionally been thought of as diseases of uh, white uh, individuals, but I think many investigators now are recognizing that psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis are probably under-recognized and probably underdiagnosed among people of color, and why? We were just talking about skin rashes, for example, and, and psoriasis looks different in some cases on melanated skin as compared to uh, non-melanated skin. So in medical school, we learned psoriasis lesions are sort of a beefy red and have a silvery overlying scale that overlays the rash. But among black people, psoriasis lesions can be purplish. They can be deeply hyperpigmented. They can have a gray or a white scale. Um, uh, Latinos may sometimes present with a salmon-colored pinkish Lesion. So, you know, as a clinician, if you're not necessarily aware of the ways in which these rashes can present themselves across different people, you might potentially miss that diagnosis. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This episode's sponsor is PWC, which offers the following message. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. PwC pairs the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. Human-led and tech-powered, it's all part of the new equation from PwC. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. We're discussing autoimmune diseases as part of our In Good Health series. That's when we visit health issues that affect us the most. I want to get into the diagnostic process because if someone is at the beginning of this journey, I think understanding more about it could be helpful. Dr. Baru Talabi, we heard about the length of the diagnostic process. What types of tests are typically used? So our testing is getting better and better with scientific advances. We do not currently have slam dunk tests with 100% diagnostic certainty in rheumatology or, or actually many other fields in medicine. Um, some of our tests require some interpretation as well. So one of the tests many people get a little bit confused by is called the ANA test or the anti-nuclear antibody We use it as a screening test for autoimmunity, um, particularly among people who have lupus. Um, It can also be found in a number of other autoimmune diseases as well, thyroid disease, Sjogren's syndrome, scleroderma, uh, as mentioned before. 
It can be associated with medications. It can be elevated in people who have chronic infections. It shows up in 15 to 20% of healthy people. So it's not a great diagnostic test. Um, if it's positive, we can follow with some tests that are a little better at helping to make the lupus diagnosis. But really, as rheumatologists, we need a physical exam. We need to look for physical exam findings. We need to really listen to patients' physical symptoms. Uh, and the tests are a part of the diagnostic um, uh, uh, process, but can lead us in a direction, but sometimes not lead to a final diagnosis. Joy, what are some of the early symptoms of lupus specifically that could signal to a physician that that's something they should look into diagnosing? Absolutely. So uh, some of the more common signs and, and symptoms of lupus in the very beginning include things like fatigue. Uh, a lot of people complain about not having enough energy to make it through the day or or perform day-to-day tasks, activities of daily living, such as being able to make up the bed or go shopping at the grocery store or take a, a walk with the dog down the street. Uh, another symptom is uh, increased joint pain um, and, and swelling, and a lot of patients uh, present clinically with that. Um, another big issue and, and one of the more commonly known symptoms is the rash. Oftentimes, patients will um, develop a butterfly rash on their face. Um, and so those three things, along with um, a positive ANA or, or blood tests that are uh, suggestive of lupus are, are also common. And when you say a butterfly um, but, rash, what, what is that exactly? Um, so that's basically a rash that covers the cheeks and the forehead mm-hmm. um, on of the face. Yeah. And so um, it's, it's, um, often uh, a present in, in, in a number of patients, but not all patients will present clinically with that. Dr. Mesqua, multiple sclerosis is another disease we hear quite a bit about. What are some of the common symptoms you may see with that? Well, um, just as it's been said about just in general autoimmune disease, you can have what we call silent symptoms, which are symptoms that are not visible, such as fatigue, um, sensory, uh, tingling numbness, and then the most, the, the ones that you can actually see will be, uh, for example, motor weakness. Uh, this can be a leg or an arm or together uh, that can be weak and be present for, let's say, two weeks if it's at the beginning of disease and it's following a relapsing uh, form of MS, um, or it can be blurry vision um, and difficulties with uh, uh, double vision or, or gait, meaning you're walking, uh, problems with walking over time. And Dr. Baroud Talabi, as I hear you all describing some of these symptoms, it makes me wonder about the subjectiveness of the diagnostic process. If I go to my doctor and I say, I'm tired, I feel achy, it, it, that may be a result of me working out too hard or not getting enough sleep. What would you say to clinicians about really getting to the heart of the symptoms people are describing to them? Really, to get to the heart of what's happening with any particular patient, you need time. You need to have the time to sit and to really delve deeply into those symptoms because you're absolutely right. Many people across the autoimmune diseases, but across life, are tired and achy. And there are any number of reasons why people can present with these symptoms. And then the symptoms can sometimes get better, and that can be confusing as well. 
someone might have had joint swelling a week ago. By the time they come and see me, the joint swelling's all gone and their physical exam might appear normal. So I really need the time to, to get a good description from a patient. What, what did that swelling look like? How did it feel? Was it warm? You know, was it in the morning? What time of the day was it the worst? It, and, and I think uh, as a diagnostician, we really need the time in the clinic to delve very deeply through focused questions. And often people are coming and telling us exactly what their diagnosis is. We just have to put those pieces together. Joy, according to the Lupus Foundation, nine out of 10 people with lupus are women. And it's three times more common in African-American women than in white women. What's the latest research on why that is? Uh, that, that's a great question. So we know that at least um, the prevalence, the higher prevalence in women uh, is related to hormones, right? So uh, estrogen causes uh, increased likelihood of, of developing autoimmune diseases, not just lupus. Um, but in terms of the increased prevalence of the disease uh, in African-Americans, um, several studies show that there's um, also some genetic predisposition um, but we know things like the environment as well as um, hormones also play a role um, in, in the higher um, prevalence of lupus in not only African-Americans, but also Native Americans um, and Alaska Natives, too. In the Hispanic community, the latest data has also shown an increased prevalence. And so we do believe more and more that things like stress um, genetics, as well as, um, you know, just variations in hormones over time can can increase propensity for developing autoimmune disease. Dr. Barutalabi, gender bias in healthcare treatment is a problem in the U.S. A study from the Journal of Women's Health found that middle-aged women with chest pain, for instance, were two times more likely than men to be diagnosed with a mental illness. And a 2020 analysis of three million hospital patient admissions found that black patients and underrepresented minorities received up to 10 percent fewer early treatments for heart problems than white patients. How does that align with people's ability to get diagnosed for an illness when the symptoms, or at least the interpretation of the symptoms, may be subjective? Well, that's another phenomenal question. I think, you know, when people feel that they have a trustworthy relationship with their clinicians, they're going to feel better about their care. They're going to feel better about their healthcare decisions. They're going to be able to achieve the outcomes that are meaningful to them. But, you know, an important piece of this is that they're going to get the health care that they deserve. And we know uh, through many studies that uh, people in this country are not receiving equitable health care. Uh, and we see it, uh, for example, in pregnancy outcomes. It's one area that I focus on, autoimmunity and pregnancy. We know that the intersection of race and autoimmune disease and pregnancy outcomes is really uh, somewhat deplorable in this country. And then part of, part of that might be that these diseases are being diagnosed a little later or not being adequately treated uh, prior to pregnancy among some people, particularly people of color. This requires more study. In fact, our, our team is funded by the National Institutes of Health to quantitatively measure this, to measure the impact of uh, disrespectful or demeaning experiences and trying to evaluate the impact on people's health outcomes. But ultimately, I think there is a subjectivity uh, within medicine 
especially for these diagnoses where we don't have slam dunk symptoms, we don't have slam dunk tests, and uh, physicians um, and clinicians who are providing higher level and evidence-based care uh, are probably going to be able to make these diagnoses uh, a little bit uh, faster. Um, We have to acknowledge, though, that in some cases, because of the history of racism in U.S. healthcare, uh, we uh, are missing out on diagnoses in some patients. Well, Dr. Amesqua, that also makes me wonder about the role stress plays and the exacerbation of symptoms. Um, Something each of my friends has shared is their collective doctors have said, you have to reduce the amount of stress in your life. But if you are in a healthcare system where you don't feel heard, you don't feel like your symptoms are being appreciated, you're not getting access to treatment. How does that how does that play into your overall health and your ability to to live with an autoimmune disease? It is a very important question and also an invo- a very important topic um, to actually discuss um, with each patient um, as they're you know uh, fighting with their uh, neuroimmunological or immunological condition. Um, certainly, we always want to talk about what stress can do to the body in general, but also, you know, for example, in multiple sclerosis, it could bring about uh, the you know feeling of increased symptoms that may look like what we call a relapse or an attack. And once we investigate it a little bit further, these, you know, uh, increases in stress, uh, you know, results in what we call pseudo-relapse, but they're quite dramatic and quite symptomatic. And so, but it does require we listen and we discuss and talk about how can we actually bring a little bit more balance uh, and wellness into the care of, for example, multiple sclerosis? Um, you know, certainly there's, you know, not hard evidence that stress, for example, would change uh, the immunology or the cells involved in, in causing inflammation. But we do know in general that, you know, stress overall uh, can provoke increased inflammation in the body in general. We got this question from Justina who says, if a person, especially from a marginalized identity, is having unexplained symptoms that could indicate an autoimmune disorder, but is having trouble being taken seriously, what general tips do your guests have for us to self-advocate? Joy, I'll come to you first. Absolutely. So one of the biggest things that we um, advocate for at the Lupus Foundation of America is communication and self-advocacy. And so when a person is entering into the healthcare system and and the healthcare space, they need to go in um, ready to uh, explain their symptoms, um, outline the problems that they've been having, and then also um, be sure to to come with evidence, you know, show the physician or, or the PA or whoever is treating them at the time, you know, where they've been having the, the issues. But if they're not heard, then they need to immediately find a new uh, physician or clinician to, to help them. There are a, a number of doctors who are in medicine who will help. 
Um, and so we, we encourage people to go and seek out the proper help, the appropriate help, find the people who will take them seriously, because we understand that this is a huge issue. As a matter of fact, um, on average, it does take up to six years to get a lupus diagnosis um, and for physicians, right? And so we know patients aren't being heard. Um, we know that doctors don't always have the tools to make the diagnosis. And so we, we make sure that, that patients know that it is possible to go elsewhere to get, get help, um, work with insurance companies, uh, work with, with other supports, support systems, family members to identify the people who will provide adequate care. Well, six years and four physicians. Dr. Baru Talabi, from the clinical perspective, what would you say to clinicians about the role they have to play here? Well, I think we have to take people's symptoms seriously. I think, uh, again, taking that time, looking through people's pictures, looking through their medical charts, seeing what other specialists uh, they've been seeing, um, uh, looking for biopsy results, really doing our due diligence to get a, a fuller picture of what might be going on. Often the clues are there, and we just need uh, the time to put together that puzzle. We're discussing autoimmune diseases as part of our In Good Health series. We'll be back after this short break. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top-10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Let's get back to the discussion with this message we got from one of you. My name is Katie Towell, and I have psoriatic arthritis, and I've had it for almost 10 years. The most difficult thing for me is access to medication. And I don't mean because I don't have insurance, but the complicated phone calls and prior authorizations and interactions between doctor pharmacy, health insurance, and specialty pharmacies takes up hours and hours of my time. Katie, thanks for that message. Dr. Barut Halabi, how complicated is it to access the treatment you need for your autoimmune disease? I think it definitely can be a challenge. So just as a, as a basic principle, one of the ways that we try to treat autoimmune diseases is often by dialing down the immune system or treating the inflammation. And these treatments can be really expensive. We have less expensive and highly effective options for some diseases before we need to advance to the more expensive options. But even then, some of those less expensive options can be hard for people to afford. Is there a way for patients to offset that cost? 
Sometimes by dealing directly with the drug company, we're able to get patients who meet certain income requirements, lower cost medications. But often we're sort of hamstrung as clinicians. We may feel that a patient would benefit from a specific medication, go back and forth with the insurance company, and we might be told ultimately, you can't you can't dispense this uh, medication for the patient. You have to try X, Y, or Z medication first. That leads to a lot of distress, understandably, among people who just want to be treated with the best medication for their condition, the one that's being recommended, before having to try alternatives. But, but you know, in some cases, the alternatives will be effective, uh, sometimes in not every case. Hmm. Is there a policy fix for that that you'd like to see? I think there are a number of policy fixes that need to, to address the, the cost of medications in this country. And what we're talking about in some cases are tens of thousands of dollars per year for medications to control autoimmune diseases. These are chronic diseases. Also, they're not you know diseases that are limited to days or weeks. This is a substantial financial burden over somebody's lifetime. And um, I think there is uh, certainly um, uh, any number of of policies that we need to uh, put forth as a medical community to explain what is the consequence on people's health and long-term outcomes if they're not able to access the medications they need because of cost. Dr. Amezqua, we heard uh, an earlier caller refer to disease-modifying therapies that she's using to treat MS. What are they? Yes. So in MS, we have over 20 disease-modifying therapies. And over the years, uh, we have, you know, they have gotten better. Uh, But unfortunately, a cost is a big issue as well and accessibility. Um, and some of it has to do with what has been said uh, much earlier, but it also has to do with how the system or depending of where the individual is trying to access uh, the medication, it may not be, for example, on formulary. Uh, but yes, multiple sclerosis has seen an increment of disease-modifying uh, therapies being developed over the last 20 years from first the injectables to oral therapies and infusions. Um, but unfortunately, cost is also a big issue. Joy, when I think about lupus and the, the rate of black women who get that disease as compared to white women, and I, and I think about some of the conversations we've had on the show before about disparities in health care, when it comes to lupus treatment specifically, what kind of health disparities exist for people who are seeking treatment? Yeah, so a a big issue, um, as others have already stated, is costs. Um, We know that a socioeconomic status plays a huge role in whether or not someone will be able to afford treatments that are available. And oftentimes, uh, patients who can't afford the more expensive treatments, such as the newer biologics, have to take things like steroids, which can be very damaging over the long term, especially in high doses. And so that's an issue in and of itself. But another problem that we see often, and we've actually received uh, several grants from the Office of Minority Health to to deal with this issue, is participation in clinical trials. Mm -hmm. And so we know that there are huge disparities 
and who participates in clinical trials. We know that African-Americans make up 31 to 43% of the lupus population, but only represent 14% of people participating in lupus clinical trials. And so we're really trying to address this issue because we know that there are genetic differences, there are environmental and epigenetic differences as well. And so... um, And when it comes to testing a drug, looking at its efficacy and effectiveness in a trial, those things can't be accounted for if an African-American is not participating. But more so than that, we can't look at the differences in safety profiles either. And so um, up until this point, you know, African-Americans have not participated uh, in large part in clinical trials. And so we don't know how efficacious and effective drugs that are available can be um, in African-Americans. And so we're really trying to address this issue on all fronts. And so as a result of not having access to certain medications, we know that African-Americans tend to incur higher health care care costs over the long term, simply because they're more likely to end up in the hospital, right? Um, because the disease is, is less well-maintained. Um, and, and so that can uh, cause issues around livelihood, quality of life, ability to work, et cetera. So it becomes a huge economic burden over time. Uh, Dr. Barutalabi, I, I want to make sure we touch on covid and autoimmune diseases and, and research that's being done around that. What can you tell us? We have a lot of emerging data, but I think it's still too early to make some of the links between COVID infection and autoimmunity. Um, you know, when we think about COVID-19, we obviously we think about fever, cough, fatigue, muscle aches and pains, just like many viral illnesses. Um, but we also think about the people who were hospitalized with that really severe pneumonia and this whole body inflammation. Um, Those were cases I think we all remember from the pandemic, uh, the worst times of the pandemic. And that whole body inflammation is really sort of interesting. It was our bodies were trying to kill off the infection, um, but that inflammation started to destroy people's own tissues and organs, and it led to life-threatening illness. Um, And in fact, a lot of scientists and clinicians uh, started to reach out to some of the medications we use in rheumatology to reduce inflammation and, again, dial down the immune system. Um, and in the aftermath of that, what we've started to see, you know, are some of the some of the COVID manifestations, excessive blood clots throughout the body, effects on blood counts. Maybe that um, is representative of an immunologic phenomenon that's that's going to predispose some people to autoimmune disease in the future. It's it's a little too early to know, but there's some really, really, really early evidence that people who have had COVID infection and often these, these sort of, you know, highly severe COVID infections might have a somewhat increased risk of developing some autoimmune diseases in the future or some of the antibodies that can be associated with some of the autoimmune diseases that we diagnose and treat. Again, it's too early to call gray area in medicine right now. A lot of good researchers are looking into this. Well, as that research continues, we'll be sure to bring you the latest. We've been talking to Dr. Marette Barut-Talaby. She's an assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Rheumatology and Clinical Immunology at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. Also with us today, Joy Bowie. She's the director of research at the Lupus Foundation of America and Dr. Liliana Amazqua. 
She's an associate professor of neurology at the University of Southern California. She's also interim chief of the Multiple Sclerosis Comprehensive Care and Research Group. Dr. Baru Talabi, Joy, Dr. Amesqua, thank you so much for being with us today. Today's producer was Jorhalina Manorea. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.